So sometime around Thanksgiving, I watched uh, The Irishman, Martin Scorsese's new movie about Jimmy Hoffa and a mafia hitman named Frank Sheeran. There's a scene in this movie where one of the, one of the gangsters goes to confession and receives absolution. I was watching this movie with my family, and so as this scene is playing out, someone turned to me and said, come on, that can't really be the case, that he can murder all those people and then go to confession and be forgiven. And I thought about, thought about how to reply, but I said, yes, that's, that's how it works. If he's truly sorry, if he's willing to try to change, if he confesses to a priest and receives absolution, he's forgiven for his sins. I'm sure that more than a few would hear that and object that it simply isn't fair. But the only reason that a murderer many times over could be forgiven, the only reason that any of us can be forgiven at all, is actually explained in the very first line of our gospel, when John identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This concept that Christ is the Lamb of God, it's the key to understanding why and how a murderer could be forgiven, why and how any of us could be forgiven. But see, this concept of the Lamb of God, it's something we're very familiar with. We call Christ the Lamb of God multiple times at every Mass. It's something that we're familiar with. We can just hear it and not bat an eye, not think twice about it. But what does it really mean to say Jesus is the Lamb of God? Well, to answer that question, we need to go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus, to the night when God liberated Israel from slavery in Egypt. Because it was on that night that God commanded Israel to perform a, the people of Israel to perform a ritual sacrifice and meal which would be known as the Feast of Passover. And they were to repeat this annually. And there were three essential parts to this feast. Number one, each family had to take a one-year-old male unblemished lamb and offer this lamb as a sacrifice, as a sacrificial offering to God. Number two, they would take the blood of this lamb and put it on their doorposts. And the angel of death, this, the blood of the Passover lamb, protected them from the angel of death. The angel of death would pass over those homes marked by the blood of the lamb. And number three, they had to consume the lamb on that night, the whole family. So this Passover in general, but the Passover lamb in particular, it is a figure, it is a foreshadowing, a preview, if you will, of Christ the Lamb of God. It tells us something about how Christ is the Lamb of God. How so? Well, let's look at those three elements. Let's start with sacrifice. Just as this Passover lamb was offered in sacrifice, so Christ on Calvary offers himself as a sacrifice to God the Father. And because he offers something that God loves infinitely more than sin displeases him, his only begotten Son, this sacrifice, it super abundantly atones for our sins. Christ more than pays the price for all sins. So that is why 
a murderer many times over could be forgiven. That is why any of us can be forgiven. Christ has superabundantly atoned for our sins. But this redemption that he won for us, this atonement, it must be applied to us individually. Right? The precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, must be applied to the doorposts of our life, so to speak. And that happens to us in the sacraments. So just as uh, Israel would mark, the, the, they were saved from the angel of death by the blood of the Paschal Lamb, so we are saved from eternal death when we are marked with the precious blood of Christ in baptism. And when we've sinned after baptism, we are washed clean in the blood of the Lamb by making a good confession. And so this is how a murderer many times over could be forgiven. This is how any of us can be forgiven, by allowing the precious blood of the Lamb of God to be applied to the doorposts of our life and the sacraments. Finally, though, remember, the Passover ritual wasn't completed until they consumed the Paschal Lamb. So just as the Israelites consumed the meat of the Paschal Lamb, so do we consume the Lamb of God in the Eucharist, truly receiving the body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread and wine. And this is another way, a powerful way, of applying the blood of the Lamb to the doorposts of our life, saving us from the dominion of Satan and nourishing us in the supernatural life of grace. Jesus is the Lamb of God, and because of that, we can be forgiven. Because of that, no sin is greater than his mercy. No number of sins is beyond his power to forgive. How should we respond to this tremendous gift? That's the, the question that, that comes to mind for me in reflecting on it. How could we ever try and make a return to the Lord for his goodness for us? Well, I don't know that we could entirely, but our second reading, which is taken from the very beginning of St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he addresses the church of Corinth as those who've been sanctified by Jesus Christ, those who are called to be holy. And that doesn't just apply to the church of Corinth. That applies to every Christian ever. We're sanctified by the blood of the Lamb, and we're called to be holy. We're called to be a saint. So maybe the, the first way we can try to make a return for the goodness of our Lord is by taking this call seriously, by seeing holiness as the end and goal of our life. You know, so often we have a reductionist view of the spiritual life. By that I mean we, we just kind of want to skate by, uh, avoid hell by the skin of our teeth, so to speak. But we're not called to barely avoid hell. We're called to be saints. We're called to be holy. And this isn't something that we can do alone. It requires the grace of God. It requires we live a deeply sacramental life, a prayer life. It requires growing in our love of God and neighbor day by day. It ultimately requires imitating Christ who laid down his life for us by us laying down our lives for others. If that all seems too daunting, then maybe a good place to start is Holy Communion. And here's what I mean. There's a tradition in the church of making a thanksgiving after we receive communion, of taking those precious moments after we've received our Lord 
and speaking to him from our heart and thanking him for, his, uh, for the many blessings he's bestowed upon us. You know, when I was in seminary, I, I had a spiritual director, confessor, my, my final year, who he would always tell me, he said, every time you receive communion, pray, Lord, make me a good priest, make me a holy priest, make me a saint. And that's something that we all could apply when we receive communion. And that's a great place to start. Say, Lord, make me holy. Or maybe just give me the desire for holiness. Help me to see holiness as the motivation for my life. So today, as we prepare to receive our Lord, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world in holy communion, let's pray that he begins to transform us into the saint he created us to be.